beginning in verse 16. Would you stand, please? While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles. And he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. He also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. When he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, What's this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he's picked up? Others said, He seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. And then they took him to the high council of the city. Come and tell us about this new teaching, they said. You are saying some rather strange things, and we want to know what it's all about. It should be explained that all the Athenians, as well as the foreigners in Athens, seem to spend all their time discussing the latest ideas. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you're very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw many of your shrines and one of the altars had this inscription on it, To an unknown God. This God who you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. He's the God who made the world and everything in it. And since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't need to live in man-made temples. And human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. For in him we live and move and exist. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times. But now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. When they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt. But others said, we want to hear more about this later. That ended Paul's discussion with them, but some joined him and became believers. Among them were Dionysius, a member of the council, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Heavenly Father, we pray that you take the reading of your word and just bless it and the proclamation of it. God, may your word uh, touch our hearts and make us more like Jesus today, we pray in his name. Amen. You can be seated. So I want us to talk about uh, sharing our faith today. Four weeks ago, when we just focused on verse 16, I asked you the question, what troubles you? What troubles you? And we talked about all the things that we could be troubled about in this life. And we looked at the fact that Paul was troubled. He was deeply disturbed in his spirit when he looked around and he saw all the idols and all the idolatry. And he realized the lostness of this city. The vast number of people who did not know the one true God. 
And he didn't just take that troubling and say, oh, this troubles me. Let me get real depressed and sad and go lay down and do nothing about it. But that troubling, that stirring of his spirit caused him to act. It caused him to go and to share the gospel so that he could do something about this, so that he could bring some folks to come to the faith in Jesus Christ. This morning, I just real briefly want to give three suggestions uh, for when you're sharing your faith, if you really, if God gets a hold of your heart, and convicts you and challenges you of the lostness of the community and the world around you, and you want to share your faith, and you say, but how do I do it? How how do I go about this? I want to think about three tips, three R's, three R words we're going to talk about for sharing your faith. The first one is reasonable. Be reasonable when you're sharing your faith. Now, Paul here talks about, in in verse 17, it says, He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles. You'll notice that all throughout the book of Acts, that it uses that word. Paul went to reason with people. In other words, Paul was not attacking them. My team is better than your team. This was not an LSU fan telling an Alabama fan how bad they stink, okay? This was not a personal attack on their team. This was not a rah-rah, my side's better than your side. He used reason. That doesn't mean he was like, came off like some philosophy professor or something. It means that he spoke in logical ways that people could understand. This wasn't some uh, completely emotional appeal, like, you know, let me, let me flood you with tears and then get you all emotional and get you to walk the aisle. Uh, this wasn't my way's better than your way. It was Hey, here's, here's Jesus. Here's the whole thing we need to understand about God and this world he created. And, and, and here's his son, Jesus. He laid out a reasoned approach, and he was reasonable. A lot of people are afraid to talk about religion with Christians if they're not a Christian because they're afraid that we're not going to be reasonable because they've come across a Christian who does not know how to listen at all. A Christian who only wants to shove information down their throat and doesn't want to hear and doesn't want to listen. And quite frankly, that's, off, that's off-putting. That turns all of us off when we come across a person like that. And so you and I, we, even if we're absolutely convinced, and hopefully you are, of the truth of the gospel, but we need to learn to listen. We need to learn to engage and reason with other people. Find out what are their hang-ups? What are their beliefs? How did they grow up? Why, do they, why aren't they Christians? Why are they what they are? So when we're sharing our faith, be reasonable. Don't be one of those people that turn off people to the gospel uh, because you just act all crazy. Be reasonable. Secondly, be relational. Be relational. The Bible says Paul reasoned, but it also tells us that his presentation of the gospel was relational. And, you know, this is very interesting because Paul is the most theological, the most doctrinal guy I know. I mean, I I imagine he could have spent hours talking about obscure Old Testament theology because he knew it all, and, 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 you know, he would have loved that. He would have ate that up. But when he talked to these folks, this is very interesting. He used a different approach than he had been with those folks in the synagogue, because we could basically say they were church folk, okay? I mean, they just hadn't heard about Jesus yet, but they'd heard all about the Messiah coming, and, and they know about Je- Jehovah God, who'd done all these great things in the Old Testament. 
And so Paul could jump in there and talk theology, talk shop with them, and just say, okay, this Messiah you've been waiting on, he's here now. But with this group of folks in Athens, uh, he starts off talking to some Jews, but quickly he moves over talking to some other people in the marketplace, and then even in the, the high council, which is called the Areopagus. They didn't know much about Judaism, about what God had done, so he takes a different approach, and it's a very relational approach. Listen to... Um, to what he says in verse 24. He had already said about God, he said, you have this shrine of an unknown God, so he makes a connection with them. I know who this God is. And then he describes this God in verse 24. He's the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he's Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples, and human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfied every need. And from one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. And he even then goes on to quote one of their poets. You know, Paul was not looking here to emphasize the great distance between him, this pious Jew, and here are these pagan Greeks. He was trying everything he could to close the gap. It was a very relational approach. He said, you know, you guys think there's all these gods out there, but I want you to know there's one true God in heaven, and he created all of you. He created the heavens, he created the earth, he created everything in it, he, he maintains it, he provides for all of your needs. In fact, he even decided when you would be born and where you would be born. All of these things God determined, and why did he do that? Because he loves you so much that he wants you to be in a place where you reach out and respond to him. He wants you to know him. And he's not far from you. Wherever you are, in whatever corner you're in, however far you feel from God, he's not far from you. Now that was a relational message from the most theological guy in the whole Bible. Paul knew that people need to know how much God loves them. Our, our talk... Our conversation with lost people, yes, it needs to be rational so they don't think we're crazy people, but it does need to be relational in, in the terms of us being relational to them and us presenting God as the relational God he is. It's the whole reason God created us is to have relationship with him. You realize God didn't need us for anything. What about servants? He had servants. They're called angels. And in fact, he doesn't even really need them, but he just had them anyway. God didn't create us for us to do for him. He created us for him to do for us. Even our service to him is a part of blessing us and having a relationship with him. And when we talk to lost people, we need to understand them to understand we're not selling them a bill of goods. We're not selling them a list of duties and responsibilities. We're not selling them a religious practice. We are talking to them about a relationship that they can have. 
with the one who created them, who loves them, who is there for them in everything they do. So when we share our faith with people, it needs to be in a relational way. People are desperate for love, for compassion, for appreciation. They want so badly to know that someone cares about them. This week when I was in D.C. with uh, Caleb, we were on our, our trip there, and he got to march in the Independence Day Parade on July 4th there in the nation's capital. I mean, it's an incredible thing. Here's, here's he's marching, and I can look over and see. Uh, here's the, the, the monument and the mall and all these things. And, but you know, one of the, the neat things of the trip was meeting different people. And one of them, I met a guy named Ed Moyer, who was our um, tour guide. And Ed, I started listening to him, and I was like, this guy sounds like somebody. I mean, he sounds, who, who, you know, you ever meet someone like, they sound just like somebody. Well, I figured it out. Ray Romano. Okay, he sounds just, I mean, everybody loves Raymond or Manny from Ice Age for you kids. Okay, this guy sounded just like Ray. And uh, I got to talking to him, and I said, you know, Ray, how long have you been doing this? And he said, uh, 10 years. And uh, Ray was very obviously retirement age, although, by the way, he outwalked all of us, including the kids. I mean, he was on the go, but see, 10 years. So, and what did you do before? We got to talking, and he'd been a government worker for all these years. And, and I said, so, so why? I mean, obviously, you love history, Ray, and, and, and you're good at what you do, but why do you do this, Ray? What, what's your thing? And he said, well, he said, you know, why you kept doing this 10 years into retirement? And he said, well, I was a government worker for all those years. And I did my job, and I tried to do it well, and I kind of got nothing. <laughs> I mean, I got paid, and that was it. He said, but the first time I led a tour, and I was telling the group goodbye, and they broke into applause. He said, overwhelm me. Because I never got that before in my government job. And here's this guy, I'm going to say mid-70s at least. And you know what? He lives for appreciation. He's mature, he's grown, he's got kids and grandkids, but he loves to know that somebody cares and appreciates what he does. And we all have that, right? We all like to know that somebody cares. And our witnessing is not about beating people over the head about how bad they are. It's telling them how good God is, and how much He loves them. Be reasonable, be relational, and be focused on the resurrection. Over and over again in the Bible, the gospel gives us that the, the core of, the bare bones, the essentials of the gospel is that Jesus died, he buried, and he rose again. All of the other things are important, they're true, they're valuable, but you know what? People need to get that Jesus died for their sins and that he rose again. You can teach them later on about the virgin birth. You can teach them later on about the miracles and other teachings, but they need to know what Jesus did for them. The fact that Jesus died for people, he died a death that he didn't deserve, uh, that only makes him a martyr. But the resurrection makes him a savior. 
It proves that he was what he said he was. He did what he said he would do. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the central miracle and it is the central event of the Christian faith. Because if you take away the resurrection, all the rest of it's gone. He's just another good man. But when you put the resurrection in there, we realize that Jesus Christ did not come merely to be a good teacher or a good leader, a good person, that he is the Savior. The resurrection is one of those things that it, it, it is uh, so backed up. <laughs> it, there is no ancient event like that that is so verified, that is so backed up by so many witnesses, by so many documents. And so you don't have to, if someone says, well, I don't know about how God lets people suffer. You can say, well, you know, that's a mystery to all of us, but can we get back to that later? What, what about creation? Well, that's an interesting topic. Can we get back to that later? Because the interesting thing is whatever questions or objections people have, ultimately, if the resurrection is true, and it is, then if I can believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then I can believe in the miracles that he did, and I can believe that he offers a way of salvation for you and I. And so when you and I talk about Jesus, we can talk about all the good things he did and all the good things he said. But we always have to come back to the point of the resurrection. When we celebrate his death and burial, we celebrate it with hope, because we know that there was a resurrection. That's what ties it all together. When we share our faith, you and I have an opportunity not to show off how smart we are, <laughs> but simply to share, you know what? Here's what God did. He's done it in my life, and he can do it in your life. Not everybody we share with is going to accept Christ. Not everybody Christ shared with shared Christ. Not everybody Paul shared with accepted Christ. But when we are reasonable, when we're relational, when we're resurrection-focused, we can present the gospel in a way that gives people an opportunity to get past some of the biases they've had about what Christians are and to really hear the message and what they do at that point is between them and God. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? Father, we come to you. Lord, we thank you for this message that we hear so many times. And yet, it is a story, it is a message that never gets old. Because it is a message that gives us life today and will continue to give us life. Father, the resurrection power by which you raised your son, that same spirit lives within us today. Those of us who are believers can call on your name, knowing that you're already with us and that you'll never leave us or forsake us. God, we get intimidated by sharing our faith. Lord, we make excuses. Uh, we put it off. We have all sorts of reasons, and yet we know, God, there are people who need you desperately.
And Father, help us to share our faith. Even if we don't think we're so great about it, so that we might get better at it. That we might trust you and allow you, just like we trust you'll work in the lives of people that are listening. God, we trust that you're working in our life to make us a better servant of Jesus Christ. But we won't get better if we take the message and we hide it and we hoard it to ourselves. Father, help us to be open with our faith. God, help us to have a heart like Paul's heart for people who need you. Lord, we pray and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.